0: Hi, I'm Chris Dyerwald.
1: And I'm Aliana Johnson.
0: And this is Ink Stained Wretches, where I think we should break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American media. What do you think?
1: I like to do the what's going wrong part. For the what's (laughs) going right, we have Chris. No. Chris, how are you on this gorgeous Thursday?
0: I appreciate why it is gorgeous, and I am grateful for lovely Holy Week. We are recording this on Maundy Thursday uh, Head
1: of Good Friday, right? That's right. Your people will be celebrating,
0: and your people will be celebrating Passover. Passover, because what was our the,
1: Exodus from? That's right, slavery.
0: The the last, and what was the last supper, but a seder. So, the it is a beautiful, glorious, golden Holy Week in Washington D.C. But the pollen, my friend, oh, it is evil. It is a coating, choking, killing <laughs> pollen, and for me and. People like me who are afflicted, I can avoid the runny nose. The watery eyes I can't fully treat with medicine. But, man, these are the days of the year where you wake up and you feel like you're swimming underwater. You're just like everything is slow. So if I'm out of sorts today and not track, if if I can't follow the bouncing ball, you'll know it is because my brain is packed in two inches of green pollen that I hate.
1: Well, I was up at 3.30 in the morning with a screaming baby, and then I thought I was like being the good partner by being like, I got it, I got it, but I couldn't console her. And then my husband got up, Had and do, she's get like up anyway. instantly soothed.
0: Isn't that the worst feeling? Yeah,
1: I was like, oh, oh, I'm an idiot. Like, what did you do? Anyhow, but I have no allergies, so I'm fresh, like the, fresh that, as a daisy. The baby's
0: like the pickle jar. You put in all the work getting it loosened up, and then he walked in and popped the top off and took all the credit.
1: He's like, I just put her on my shoulder and patted her back.
0: Well, do you sing? No. Does he sing?
1: No. I don't think
0: so. So you got to sing to your baby. Singing to your baby is one of the true delights. We do
1: listen to music.
0: Listening to music is good, but when you have them on your chest and you sing... The deep, especially if you are the dad and you sing these deep songs like this, they love it, and it's fun, and you get to walk around all night singing Count, ba- Count Basie songs or whatever.
1: We're, we've been, we, I should, act, we should actually play a clip. We've been really into the song "I Am a Pizza," It's about this Pizza's <laughs> journey. It's so, well, journey. let's play a clip. <laughs>
0: Well, it's a journey for all of us. It's a journey Uh, for all of us. Yeah, well,
1: it ends when the pizza gets dropped on the floor. Oh, poor pizza. And it's like, I am a pizza. It gets really (laughs) sad. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, poor pizza.
1: Uh, She totally loves it, though.
0: Poor pizza. Okay, should we go to the front page?
1: Yes. We have a super stacked front page, and I feel like we've got items that go together. So- Above the our our above the fold front page is actually reflective of the above the fold front page across the country. We have coverage of the New York City subway shooter who miraculously did not leave anybody dead, but a dozen people more injured. And what did we think of the coverage of the subway shooter?
0: Uh. I think Eric Adams is good on TV. He has a flair for the stuff. And, I mean, first we should say, thank God this guy was a such an ineffective terrorist. No one has died yet, right? One person is in critical condition.
1: Yeah, nobody died, and, and then he left his credit card on the scene.
0: Yeah, and- not a good—not not top drawer. This guy, Al-Qaeda, is not going to look this guy up <laughs> and say, we'd like to make you part of our organization.
1: Uh, it was incredible though i was i was reading the new york times after he was arrested and we'll get to the piece that they published that the new york times published before he was arrested and for them this is local coverage yeah it it they made reference to the shooter, his name is Frank James. His lengthy rants, and he had a YouTube page oh, I that watched. he was posting constantly. His lengthy rants, in which he expressed a range of harshly bigoted views, and they made all these references to the YouTube videos and his bigotry. You could not figure out what this guy believed.
0: They coded it and was against so...
1: whom he was bigoted. It Who was, was he impossible to discern. Not a big fan of the Jews. Not a big fan. Not of a Jews, big fan of true. what he He was a black nationalist.
0: But he hated, not a big fan of white so, people. White people.
1: Not a big fan of Hispanics.
0: Not a big fan of Hispanics and also not a fan of uh, a certain kind of blacks who he thought were. So he had this like racial demonology that was very clearly defined and it was... But they will not tell you. And it was mostly anti-white. And what was interesting is, and this is the the New York Times line is, uh, lengthy rants in which he expressed a range of harshly bigoted views why wouldn't you just say right like and this is the weird thing that happens and this is terrible but there is a thing that occurs when there is mass violence that and we've talked about it here before in one newsroom they're like oh please be a muslim please be a muslim please be a muslim and then in another room they're like another newsroom they're like please be a white nationalist please be a white (laughs) nationalist oh please because if it doesn't and the one exception to this that I remember, and I wrote about this for my book, You remember the Pulse nightclub shooting? Yep. So it was the only one that was perfect because for all the newsrooms, it was a Muslim attacker, but the victims were gay. So it allowed both CNN and Fox, it allowed everybody to say like, oh, we can run with this story because it's not demonized, it's not excessively the concern about on the left media. You know what I mean here?
1: I know exactly what you mean.
0: So the concern on the left media about highlighting a massive crime by a Muslim was offset by the desire to say that, oh well, the victims were gay, so this is we, we, we can talk about this. But usually what happens is once we know who the, who the attacker is, interest on one side or the other immediately wanes, right? Immediately it's like, nope, we're not talking about this and not to be cynical, but to be cynical, when I I am sure that the fact that this guy was a black nationalist or some version of black nationalist, when the news came in at the Times newsroom, it was like, no, oh gosh, OK.
1: It's interesting you say this because it, it this dovetails with a project that that we'd been working on at the Beacon for quite some time with our. Our former colleague, Charles Lehman, who is now a fellow at the Manhattan Institute, where what we're talking about now is something that we all know happens, but it's hard to quantify it or put numbers behind it. Mm -hmm. And so the subway attack happened. The New York Times article that we will link in the notes when the guy was on the loose. And so people would actually need to know Who are we looking for? What does this man look like? Where is the mugshot? They do not tell you what his race was. They don't mention it. So our, our project at the Beacon and what Charles did for us was try to put some numbers behind. When does the media, when do news reports mention the race of a murderer? When they do, how far down in the article is it? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so so the
0: papers included the Chicago... He poured
1: over 1,100, 1,100 articles from major metropolitan between papers. 2019
0: and 2021.
1: Over the past two years. Including
0: the Chicago Tribune, the Los Angeles Times, the New York Times, Philadelphia Inquirer, San Francisco Chronicle, and Minneapolis' Star Tribune. I don't...
1: Should I read out the findings here?
0: Yeah. Tell them the facts. And
1: we will link the story. As you probably suspected... The race of white murderers is mentioned much higher in stories than those of black murderers. Yep. Half of articles about a white offender mention his race within the first 15% of the article. In articles about black offenders, by contrast, mentions come overwhelmingly toward the end of the piece. Half of the articles that mention a black offender's race do not do so until at least 60% of the way through, and more than 20% save it until the last fifth. And then how often did newspapers mention a murderer's race at all in if the murderer is white, 23 percent, if black, 6 percent, if Hispanic, 3 percent?
0: I'm willing to give some benefit of the doubt here that some of these were guilty white people who felt bad about highlighting instances of black crime and and buried that out. What's uh, so interesting. it's It's wrong to do. It is wrong to do that because you should try to be fair, but I certainly can imagine how a lot of this was coming from a good place, right?
1: Well, what's so interesting, and this is all tackled in the article, is Charles also measured how this changed after the George Floyd murder. Oh, And the disparity widened after Floyd's death. It's it just, it's a fantastically done article, and, and it, it was a really, a way to like really carefully put numbers to something and by the way there were lots of changes in newsrooms after Floyd's death many of them stopped publishing mugshots yep. other of them you know stopped they they changed a lot of the ways that they talked about crime and criminals and criminal justice reporting and all that's covered in well, the piece we all, but we
0: all know numbers Eliana, to
1: what we all uh, you probably suspected
0: we all know that ignoring a problem will make it go away that is what we know if we ignore problems about criminality in african american communities that problem will go away because the only reason it exists is because, because of the white power it. structure yeah. goes into these communities to report it's that's all there is i would be curious to know maybe you could do maybe he could do this as his next piece i wonder how right wing media deals with white nationalist crime and how much coverage it gets and how like the shooter in i would be curious to know how much did Fox and—and and you could pick a representative sample of right-wing media— how much did they talk about Dylan Roof in Charleston, South Carolina? How much did they talk about the Tree of Life, a mass murder, compared to their competitors? My suspicion would be a little less just because I think their consumers don't like to hear— I think a lot of this reflects what—so some of it is good-natured, some of it is rotten, and some of it is, I would imagine— responding to what perceived market pressures are, that their audience doesn't want to hear about the things that can... Conform- the worst thing that you can do in today's partisan media, in our siloed partisan media, is make people feel uncomfortable about their own side.
1: And the result is, as Charles puts it in, in this piece, let me find the... I want to find the best quote here.
0: All of our very rigorous preparation folks. That's right.
1: And the result is the way that Charles put it in this article is that the sort of moral clarity that has come to newsrooms in the way that they cover crime with, you know, good intentions. He writes, quote, may mean downplaying black crime and emphasizing white crime. In the case of offenders like James, the subway shooter, it means leaving readers in the dark about an important element of the story, journalistic malfeasance that is, of course, in the service of the greater good.
0: Mhm mhm mhm.
1: I think that is well put.
0: Word. Anything going on on oh, the CNN oh. Beat? Eliana, is there anything going on in in CNN world?
1: We have we have a <laughs> triple play CNN coverage. Which should we start with?
0: Well, I think you should start with your piece. This is I will say we'll get some good dispatch plugs in at the end, but you have a you have a you're flying the free beacon flag.
1: Flying the, the beacon high totally today. totally. Yes. So well, I'll let you, I'll I'll just let you respond. Uh, okay. I spent like a week working on this piece about at the very end of Chris Cuomo's ignominious tenure at CNN, the company received a letter from Debra, Deborah Katz, who's now the go-to you know sexual harassment lawyer for women, outlining an accusation from a former Cuomo colleague, a young woman who alleged that he had. Sexually harassed, assaulted her. When they were at ABC. years before, years before, and it was ABC, a previous, a, a different network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And didn't he used to do like
0: Nightline or like
1: he? He was at yeah, yeah.
0: He did, he used to do like in the field, nostril, totally squinting, flexing in the in yeah, the yeah, field,
1: yeah, yeah. and that he had reached back out at the height of the Me Too movement. Harvey Weinstein went down. Matt Lauer went down, Charlie Rose went down, and he got a little nervous and he reached back out to this former colleague and said, she was then doing public relations for WeWork and said, I have a really good idea. I'd really like to do a CNN segment on your company. And that segment went to air. And, and in
0: her in her telling of the story, he and she, she both that knew. She understood The both of them knew he understood that she felt victimized by him
1: yes and she they she understood that to be an effort on his part to make nice with yeah. her and keep her quiet when little women were coming out of the woodwork and
0: that on its surface it very much looks like it very much would fit the pattern of a guy who was worried about his own skin Suddenly saying,
1: hey,
0: how are you? And I would
1: say it is is—it is not a uh, standard operating procedure for the anchors themselves to reach out to the PR people at, you know, companies and say, and arrange, do this sort of arranging. Like, they have it's people pos- who work for them who do this. It's possible
0: that, look, let's try it in the light most favorable to the defendant. Light most favorable to the defendant is he didn't understand that she had ever felt that way, and he remembered her fondly and wanted to do this corny story on... Well, should we listen to some of we the story? We should, we
1: should. This is the segment. All little Monday good stuff. There's no question that there's room for criticism of the tax plan and whether helping corporate America is the best way to help workers, but that doesn't mean that businesses don't do the right thing, even when they don't have to. That's where We Work came in. Now, this business has tons of special programs, including one for veterans. It pairs them with mentors and gives them a sponsored workspace... And then even helps them with networking for capital and otherwise.
0: So I say this with affection for television.
1: Don't you feel more informed? I say this that? with
0: affection for television. You got to pack a lot of corn to make that goose liver fatty, right? You got to really like th- there is filler and content that must be made. And there's worse segments that I've seen on the morning news. But it's definitely fluffy, uffy, uffy. And if I'll, to to in the light most favorable to the defense you could say that he didn't know that she had felt that harassed by him and had a fond recollection and then contacted her because he thought it would be easier i agree with you that the in the the prosecution story is a lot more convincing than the, than the defense's story but it's a it's a possibility
1: we know chris a lot of bad stuff about what the other chris Chris Cuomo Mm -hmm, did. mm -hmm. But what amazed me about this story is that CNN has managed to totally bury what I think is the worst part of this whole thing, which is that he used their air to Mm -hmm. cover his hiney, Mm -hmm. not to help a family member or like use his journalistic resources, but he used their air. To try to cover his heinie, or at least that's, or at alleged least, past misdeeds, or at least and, that's
0: how it seems. Yeah, a, a, yeah. A, a, re, a, re, a reasonable person, it would seem that way. It would seem corrupt.
1: It would seem so, and they've totally managed to. I bet bury this. I bet
0: CNN will has deleted the letters C U M O from the keyboards of every desk. They're never going to talk about Cuomo again. There is no Cuomo. And any references to Mario Cuomo's statements about you govern in, a, <laughs> you, you campaign in poetry and govern in prose, those are all stricken from the old tapes. There and, is no uh, Cuomo. Two
1: Americas. Yeah. Can't find it. But what about Brian Stelter? Well, you know. Blockbuster interview he did. Well, let's uh, hear. Let's uh, let,
0: let's hear. So this is Brian he Stelter. He was
1: interviewing a Yale professor. Uh, uh, two with
0: Yale professors who have, or two professors, I don't know where they are both teach. But they did a study, which uh, I can totally relate to because it talks about news filtering, which is the phenomenon by which, and we were talking about this earlier, just a moment ago, where producers know what their audience wants and what their audience doesn't want. So they don't put on what the audience doesn't want, which means that the audience gets a skewed picture of the news if they don't go to other outlets too. This is steyrwalt one-on-one. This is the first rule of my being a good media consumer is don't be captured uh, by flattery. And so th- this is a study that basically says Fox News viewers didn't know about important things. They pa- uh, they paid Fox viewers $15 or something an hour to watch an hour, three, set multiple hours of Fox News over a period or of CNN over a period of days. At the end of those days, the viewers were much better informed on stories that they were uninformed, had been uninformed about previously. And so let's listen to what Brian Stelter, a very excited Brian Stelter, had to, wanted to talk about. So Josh, you all call this partisan coverage filtering. Um, and it, basically you're proving what we've sensed for a while, which is Fox viewers are in the dark about bad news for the GOP. Fox News predominantly covers issues that, that make the GOP look good and, and make Democrats look bad. And and on the flip side, CNN engages in this partisan coverage filtering as, as well that we find. For example, during this time, the Abraham Accords were signed and these were the agreements where Israel, the UAE and Bahrain signed a, a major peace agreement. And we see that Fox News covered this really major accomplishment about 15 times more than, than CNN did. So we establish both networks are, are really engaging in this partisan coverage filtering. It's, it's not about one side, it's about the media writ large.
1: I think you're engaging in some both sidesism, there, Josh.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: It's so amazing. Like, I I don't understand here just the lack of humility to say.
0: Well, first of all, you've got to address both sidesism because you are always Steltering me and accusing me of both sidesism, and I just want to say that you were like Brian Stelter. Now I know that you and Brian Stelter are, are alike in your opposition to both sidesism. <laughs>
1: I hate both sides them.
0: I know you do, and so does Brian Stelter. But particularly, Brian Stelter hates it when it backs up right in his face. uh,
1: But Brian Stelter and I are not alike in that. He doesn't like both sides-ism when it when it hurts the left. Exactly. So I don't like both sidesism when it hurts the right. Yes. Um, yes but yes, I'm yes, honest yes. about it, and he's not.
0: Well, the, the idea, and, you know, this goes to a larger conversation we've been having for weeks now about CNN, and I make no secret of the fact that I'm rooting for the, the more news, more straightforward approach that CNN says it's going to be working on when Chris Lick takes over as the new boss on May 1st or whatever. I didn't realize he hasn't even taken over yet but that the changes that are supposed to come to make CNN more centered uh, and back to its reputation for straight news. And that would be great. I would love to see it. I don't know if money can be made doing that, but I would love to see it.
1: I'm just so amazed that brian stelter can't acknowledge like you know what yeah we lean a little to the left here and i'm sure that does skew our story selection at some points like that would buy more credibility than inviting a guest on your program and then attacking them
0: having cnn review the journalism of fox news or having fox news review the journalism of cnn it's stupid It don't do that that is a waste of everyone's time because all it is is more of, uh, what's the term that these guys use, partisan news filtering? It's just another kind of partisan news filtering. The people who watch Fox News criticize CNN say, I'm so smart for watching Fox News. I am so much better than those dummies who watch CNN. And then, CNN, and then CNN people watch Brian Stelter trash Fox News, and they're like, I am so smart that I yeah. watch CNN. I'm not like those dummies over at Fox.
1: I also, I like this Yale professor. He was, I mean, no, not, was, to, not to sexually harass or anything, uh-oh. but he was pretty cute.
0: Well, I didn't for see- For a
1: Yale professor? I,
0: I thought I, his eyes betrayed. You couldn't see it because you were listening, but his eyes betrayed when he said the word CNN on CNN that he knew he was being naughty and I have to do this. He was really. Cute. I have to do this a lot, right? I have to this when I go on places and I get interviewed, and people say, "Well, Fox though is you worked at Fox, and then they fired you for being awesome, and you're the best, and Fox stinks." And you I'm know like, what? and then I have to say, "Well, I hear you, and there's certainly truth in what you're talking about, comma. However, this is a Joshua industry problem."
1: Joshua Uh, go ahead ahead, Eliana I was just talking over here I didn't know that you were trying to
0: crush on this poor Yale professor please please continue any other does he like long walks on the beach or potato chips Um, or
1: what are his his PhD from Berkeley so I'm not sure about that but
0: (laughs) you know what Eliana Johnson let's move along let's move along why don't we so yeah. this is the story in uh, Axiom.
1: Yeah, shockingly, neither of those was the worst thing that happened to CNN. Well, I'm,
0: well, tell them what's in this story, and then we'll talk about it.
1: All right, so you may remember CNN+, Plus, you know, Chris Wallace's new home. CNN has put hundreds of millions of dollars to promoting this thing.
0: And have promi- and- promised—so CNN, when they launched—and this is an, an over-the-top streaming service like Fox Nation, like— Discovery Plus like whatever else that this is a TV network trying to get into the subscription game and they promised uh, originally oh and they used McKinsey uh, they wanted to bring in 2 million subscribers in the US in the first year and ramped up to 18 million after 4 years and they wanted it to break even after 4 years and this is all according by the way to Axios
1: well yeah you're bearing the lead here the uh, the the headline Big cuts. This is two weeks after the launch. Big cuts coming for CNN Plus after slow start.
0: And we heard this before from Gasparino.
1: Who? Charlie Gasparino Char- yes. over at Fox. And then the CNN spokes B-star TCH like responded. Oh Matt Dornick responded to to inquiries about it saying, we're so thrilled with the performance and totally denying it. So they're just like so slimy and dishonest. Oh. Now we get this news report. Well,
0: we don't know. So the news report is that people are saying the it is unclear whether it's, I hate Axios, the way that the, Axios insults everyone's intelligence constantly is one of the worst sins of journalism of the past 10 years these dumb bullet points and telling, my favorite is when they say be smart, which of course says you're dumb, but be smart because you're going to read the following nine words in a row. It's just ghastly. But between the lines, uh, <laughs> hiring has been frozen at Warner Media for the past six months. This has been felt at CNN. One top executive notes that there is a sense of confusion internally as to why CNN didn't push back the launch of CNN Plus until after the Discovery merger. Good question.
1: It's amazing. I mean, Chris, of course, we wish them only the best. Well... All I, all success.
0: I wish, I mean, if I wish success to anybody who wants to do a good project. And I, my takeaway from this Axios piece that was shoved up my nostrils with dumb buzzwords is that when Chris Lick starts, he's going to have some difficult choices to make about CNN Plus and whether... There is a phenomenon. Have you, Eliana? Yes. Ever in a newsroom observed the sunk cost fallacy where a story or a project has been a failure but has But you put so much time into consumed it. That so much scarce, so much scarce resources that you're like, Well, here it goes. Push send because blah I've
1: and, already spent a week on it. You know, somebody once told me, because I made this complaint once, I'd put a ton of time in a story, and then, you know, events, things happen. It's not newsy anymore, and you're like, oh, but I spent a week on it. And, you know, somebody looked up at me and said, that's the news business.
0: That's the news business, yep. baby. The, the, yep. the, and, and here's the one really important thing that journalists have to always remember. No one cares how hard it was. Yeah. No, your reader or viewer will never be like, well, it's not that interesting, but I can tell it was really hard to put together. So I'm going to <laughs> give them my click and, and grateful support for this boring, inconsequential, but challenging piece. This is, this is sort of like when the guys, when people can do things on musical instruments and they're really obviously technically hard, but not pleasant to listen to. And I'm like, well, it sucks for you. I guess you should have put your, put your work into something that people wanted to hear. Eliana, what do you know about The Spectator?
1: Well, have you heard it's the longest-running magazine in the world? Say word. Is that a fact
0: <laughs> that it is? Uh, it eschews identity politics in favor of intelligent conversation and thought? From the war on Ukraine to the ideological war in the classroom. So, if they write, if if their magazine copy is as good as their ad copy, (laughs) from the rise of inflation to the rise of cancel culture, the Spectator has been dedicated to stimulating reporting and analysis since 1828.
1: So, you may know of the British Spectator, UK Spectator, but it has just come newly ashore.
0: Their 1828 coverage. We have, their we hot have takes, it here stateside. Their hot takes on Andy Jackson yes, have we now have, been updated for the we modern. We have
1: now. it here stateside, and they are covering the best in books, travel, and catering to my interests, food and wine.
0: Food and wine and much, much more. But is there a way, perhaps, that listeners to our great Ink Stained Wretches podcast could uh, receive additional value?
1: Good question. If you sign up today you'll receive three free months of the print magazine and if you don't want to carry around a copy of the print, get full digital access and and you'll get a free spectator ha- hat so oh. that those UVA... Uh, raise Do not give point you wrinkles. i we still have
0: not seen this hat, and I, I feel good yeah. about it. I feel Spectators. like it would be a good hat, but a, is it a bowler? a couple Is hats. it a pork pie hat? What kind of hat? I want to know.
1: Send us some hats.
0: Whatever you my do, My daughter though, needs a hat. Whatever you do, though, you have to go to spectatorworld.com backslash special offer. That's spectatorworld.com backslash special offer, and you use the offer code I-N-K, Inc., my people. That's ink. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You like... The spectator, because why?
1: Bunch of good contributors, some of whom I know personally. Okay. Douglas Murray is a pal. Also, Christopher Buckley of Oh, The Great Thank Chris you Buckley, Smoking. yes.
0: Oh, wonderful. And Christopher
1: Caldwell, father of Washington Free Beacon, editor Philip Caldwell. Oh, right. Uh, I like them both. Wonderful. Rock- not only good writers, but great people.
0: Douglas Murray, Roger Scruton. Okay, here yeah. you go. Yep. There you go. And I like their line here that it is less political party and more cocktail party.
1: Oh, I like that. That's yes. quite good. That's okay. right up my alley. So whether you lean left or right or you're like Chris and you lean both, oh, come on. you are guaranteed to be entertained from cover to cover.
0: <laughs> well, whatever you, however you're leaning, you should sign up today to get three free months of The Spectator plus your free non-described spectator hat. So subscribe today at spectatorworld.com backslash special offer. That's spectatorworld.com. Don't, yeah. don't break me when I'm flowing. Spectatorworld.com backslash special offer. Code Inc. Yep. Use I-N-K. offer code Inc. At checkout to redeem your offer. Make it happen, people. All right, what else you got, lady?
1: Um, I don't care about this next one. Oh, the
0: Substack thing? Yeah. Well, I... I think this so the subset. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of uh, articles that get assigned and then eventually have, like to to everyone's lament, have to be published. So Substack growth, New York Times headline: Substack growth spurt brings growing pains. Would you like to guess what some of those growing pains are, Eliana? Can you imagine what they might be?
1: I'm just going to go with too many white people.
0: Is it possibly a too male? And, too, and and a lack of diversity? It's too possible. many white people. I don't know. We'll see.
1: Do, do we get a mention of race when it is white people?
0: Well, you certainly are going to get gender and race right up your gazoo as you read this piece. And it's funny because, of course, the obsession with these topics, even in, every, in everything. But I will say what I also find interesting about it is, and you know this is a pet peeve of mine, this is a New York Times writing about its competitor. Substack is a competitor. Substack represents and, competition. And do they
1: say that in the article? No,
0: they don't. Well, not only do they not say it, but there's an animus in the... Totally. There's, there, you can feel animus in this even beyond just the too many white dudes thing. Like there, there, is, there is extra sauce on this. And I think that's true. And I also point out that that also comes with... So Fox News has covered the Ron DeSantis bill... And the Disney, the Walt Disney Corporation's reaction to it like a five alarm fire every day for a week. Like it has been mucho coverage, uh, especially Fox and Friends, which is the official morning show of Ron DeSantis. And it's like way over the top. I would just point out the Walt Disney Corporation is the owner of ABC, which is one of Fox's competitors. Like these are competing media groups. And when ABC, when when CNN trashes Fox and Fox trashes Disney, uh, just always remember that part of the motivations here are, even if it's only in there, even if it's only implicit, part of the motivation here is these are competitors writing about one another, writing or, or broadcasting about one another.
1: We have up next back-to-back items about they're, they're about completely different things, but I just loved the.
0: Well, wait! Don't the, skip over. Don't skip over the other Fox item right there about Laura. Oh, you In- take it, Laura Ingram and Sean Hannity. So there was a big, conflama.
1: I missed this. What happened?
0: So there's a big conflama about Donald Trump's decision to ridiculously endorse Mehmet Oz for the Pennsylvania uh, uh. for the Pennsylvania Senate race.
1: Over, oh, I totally missed this over
0: David McCormick, who is the like. He's the Yunkin, West
1: Point graduate. But yeah, he,
0: he's the Yunkinny. Bridgewater
1: he, CEO. He's a,
0: he's a he's a hedge fund master of the universe, who Mil- uh,
1: military veteran milita- and a
0: military veteran, but who has reinvented a, a, a Connecticut a Connecticutan. Did you know that the ner- the word for somebody from Connecticut is there a Connecticutan?
1: Uh, I didn't. That's good. A
0: Connecticut kitten, and I always feel like it should be a Connecticut cat and a Connecticut kitten, like a male and a female. But that's I like a, that. That's not how it's going for me. But I'll take Connecticut kitten. That Connecticut who moved back to his home state of Pennsylvania to run. Blah 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 blah. Trump picked Oz, his fellow celebrity, over the choice of every all, like most of Trump world, Stephen Miller. Oh, picks working O-Pix. for McCormick. McCormick did the the uh, tried to buy
1: Kellyanne Conway. Yeah, tried with to McCormick. buy some Trump
0: love, and, and then. De-
1: McCormick married to Dina Powell, who was on the Trump Trump National Security Council. Council.
0: One of the few people who got out unscathed. And so Trump chose against McCormick and in favor of Mehmet Oz. Also choosing Mehmet Oz is Sean Hannity. And Sean Hannity, who, who loves Dr. Oz, probably, and I don't want to be unfair, but probably for the same reasons that Trump does, which is Oz is a big celebrity who can get you more traction if Dr. Oz ends up with a show on Donald Trump's Truth Social or whatever his new media company that Devin Nunes and his weird belts are that whatever they're running then that's good for Trump whoever wins the election so here's Laura Ingram disagreeing with her colleague Sean Hannity well you
1: know Hannity I think I believe endorsed um, Oz and uh, you know I think that's you know that's probably Not inconsequential for President Trump. You know, you wouldn't answer the question whether it was a mistake. I think it was a mistake to endorse Oz. uh, I'll say it. I'm not afraid to say it. It was a mistake to endorse Oz.
0: So not a big deal. I'm not saying it's a big deal, but it is notable when you see the personalities at Fox in in a schism.
1: You hate to see it.
0: It's life in the big city, lady. It's life in the big city. And here's Lachlan Murdoch.
1: I mean, it is... It does speak to how much has changed at Fox in that you, in, in the Ailes days, in the good old days of Roger Ailes, LOL. In uh, the good old days you, when you the company was only never, run by a sex predator. You would predator. have never seen even these primetime hosts. When no. there was, it was like primetime's opinion and news is news and yada yada, you would have never seen these people getting behind one candidate or the other.
0: It's totally inappropriate and whatever. But it,
1: it just wouldn't happen. It
0: was, It's also dumb because... The why would you alienate if, – if even if you were just doing this for a, on a monetary basis, why would you bother alienating some of the voters in Pennsylvania? Why wouldn't you just say, oh, my gosh, candy corns and rainbows. I am so excited about all of the great Republican candidates in Pennsylvania. They're wonderful. Why would you bother alienating somebody? And don't – like, I, I sort of feel like – and this is also unfair with Laura Ingram particularly. Laura Ingram is a smart person who was not a Trump person, and then she, like, went uh, mega-mega-super-Trumpo and now complains about Donald Trump not being a diligent protector of the Republican Party that she went along for the ride of him smashing to (laughs) smithereens. So it's a little rich, is all.
1: Now, for the 1619 Project portion of our program, Mm -hmm. uh, these are two totally different articles, but I was so amused by the allegedly factual descriptions in passing of the 1619 project. So first up, we have a Washington Post article about Lachlan Murdoch and his alleged Trumpification. Well, so so
0: it, it it's an interesting piece. We'll link it. The Washington Post did a big takeout piece on Lachlan Murdoch giving a speech in Australia. Now, I think that it's interesting. It's noteworthy that Lachlan Murdoch, who had been politically enigmatic or a little more politically enigmatic than his dad in the past, sort of identified himself not only on the right, but a willingness to engage in culture war stuff, which is different. And of course, very closely tied to Fox's brand because culture war stuff is definitely sells better than actual policy. And, but you noted in this piece about Lachlan Murdoch, I'm just
1: reading it with interest.
0: Even the Washington—so here's this piece, and it's, again, by the Washington Post. It's not even by the New York Times. But as they get to a Lachlan Murdoch mention of the New York Times 1619 project, even the Washington Post feels obliged to run out and defend this thing.
1: What's so galling to me is this is their factual description of the 1619 project. So they refer to Lachlan Murdoch's, quote, obscure jab at the 1619 project as if this isn't like red meat for no, you conservatives and then quote the new york times won a pulitzer for one of the project's essays which expounded upon the legacy of slavery but it's become a regular punching bag in right-wing media no explanation for why and Murdoch blamed the project for stoking partisan divides by quote recasting American exceptionalism as racist from inception. Uh no mention of the fact of like the factual errors that historians have called out in the sixteen nineteen project or the um, or that that's not what authors. it prupo-
0: that's not what it purports to do at all either. That this is exactly. a if you'll pardon an unfortunate uh, term, whitewashing the what the what what it does because it's like. Oh, you know, it just expounded on the legacy of slavery like it was it's a, a, a collection of essays about the Dred Scott decision and whatever. No, it says in explicit terms, and, and this makes me crazy, the 1619 Project says in explicit terms is that its goal is to re-understand that the founding of America is not in 1776. Yeah. Well, wait, I, yeah. let me tell I will tell you, it is that Excuse the, me. the founding of America— is not at 17, in 1776 at Philadelphia's Independence Hall. The founding of America is the arrival of the first chattel African chattel slaves in the United States brought by the Dutch to Virginia in 1619, and that that is the founding of America. And that's a lie. And it's wrong, it's pernicious, it's wicked, and it is divisive. It attacks the core, most important thing that America can do, which is to keep alive the promise of the American creed as recorded in the Declaration of Independence, as reaffirmed by Lincoln, as reaffirmed by Coolidge at the 150th, as reaffirmed by Martin Luther King, as reaffirmed by Barack Obama, that leaders throughout time have said over and over again, we hold these truths to be self-evident, matters, these are the truths, and this is the way to go. What they do is attack that, and then even their competitor at the Washington Post carries water for the New York Times.
1: This is what we asked Ben Smith about. Yeah. Can't you guys compete a little bit and be a little critical of each other and cover each other? But I know uh, no, they're, com- they're on when it the comes same team. Sixteen, nineteen, or, or anything. Um,
0: and and I would also just say, the sixteen nineteen project and all of and and this division. Yes, Murdoch is is exploiting the division. So's the Washington Post. So's the New York Times. Get over yourselves.
1: Well. That was just a warm-up for how the New York Times described the 1619 project which let's let's hit their description because it shows how they are embarrassed to say what this thing actually what, yeah what, they won't say yeah. so
0: in this case the article hit, hit it Chris Well in this case the article is an interesting piece about Hillsdale College is getting into the charter school business, which a lot of people have lost a lot of money on over time but Hillsdale uh, thinks they have a contract with the state of Tennessee, conservative Hillsdale College in Michigan. In Michigan. And, well, I know it's in Michigan. I'm trying to remember. Is it hot? No, it's in, no, Berrien It's, it's, in, it's Hillsdale. in Hillsdale. Okay. Well, look, duh. But that's like south the south central Michigan. And they are, of course, a well-known conservative bastion and on and on and on. And now they have, they're going into the charter school business. It's an interesting piece about that. But in the piece, they point to... How the, in a recent, this is quoting the Times, in a recent fundraising appeal, Hillsdale pleaded for, pleaded, you see, $17.76.
1: They held out the tin cup, you know.
0: To help counter, (laughs) quote, leftists, close quote, academics teaching a, quote, biased and distorted view, close quote, of American history. The pitch cited the New York Times 1619 Project. What is it, the 1619 Project, (laughs) you may wonder? Well, folks... All it does, you see, is it argues <laughs> that slavery and white supremacy are dominant themes in American history as an example of te- of false teaching in schools. That is not what that the is, 1619 is, Project is. That
1: should be the under the definition of gaslighting yeah. in the dictionary. It should be this sentence.
0: Like, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, all we were here to do was just talk that it was important. All we were saying was that slavery was important. Boo. Amazing. Amazing. All right, so if Elon Musk buys Twitter, how will it affect your life? It will not. It will not affect your life? Do you tweet ever?
1: I hate I'm, – I'm with you. I hate Twitter.
0: No, you hate Twitter, but you tweet it.
1: I send some tweets, but not uh. often. It will bring some joy to my life in that I would enjoy seeing, like, the woke people who run Twitter tortured by Elon Musk.
0: I, their fear, the fact – did I read correctly that they needed a day? They gave them a day of rest following the Elon Musk news – so that the people at Twitter could like process the experience of having Elon Musk possibly owning their company, and just it hurts so much. And they're like, "Yeah, we're definitely doomed." <laughs> it's been a good, it's been a good run, Western civilization. <laughs> I guess this, is, I guess, I guess this is where this is where we leave you. But I do think Elon Musk in this has chosen very wisely. I don't, as we're recording this, Elon Musk has offered to buy Twitter and take it private with a very generous. I forget what it is, $36 billion or something?
1: $43 billion.
0: $43 billion. So way more than Twitter's worth right now. Now, there's an argument that Twitter will, and this is Twitter's argument, that it will be valuable forever because dumb journalists sit around and cluck at each other on it, and it drives other coverage and has an outsized effect. But let us say, that is a more than fair offer <laughs> uh, for their stock. And the and I, I, I note that for Musk, he has chosen again a target of the right and he is increasingly i would say would you say musk is now identified right wing
1: i think he's like unconventional willing to i don't know slaughter sacred cows
0: but if but if i'll put it this way if mark zuckerberg is a democrat then elon musk is a republican is that right
1: i wouldn't i don't think i would categorize either of them really
0: i think they're more i i anyway i see musk as more of right side smoking uh smoking doobies with Joe Rogan and troll and and doing PC stuff and and his stuff around Twitter has been right of center the freak that out
1: I would agree with
0: the freak out among journalists around the possibility that Elon Musk would have their precious and touch their precious Who, what
1: was the best freak out do we have just a the, good
0: one? Just, no it's just the the volume of coverage about like a dude says hey I'll buy a rich a billionaire says hey I'll buy your company and it's like what will the implications be? And then if Musk does this, then how? And you're like, it's Twitter. It doesn't matter. Who cares? It only matters to you. Stop doing that.
1: I'm for it because I I enjoy all the like squealing and hysteria.
0: I that could be your tagline, Eliana. Yeah. Like we at the new introduction, we we get a new introduction. Enjoying all the squealing and hysteria. And, be like, and I'm Eliana Johnson. I enjoy all the squealing and hysteria yes. when you are stuck like pigs.
1: Yes. <laughs> Chris, <laughs> that was a long windup to our obsessions of the week. These are the stories that we cannot get out of our heads. What is yours?
0: Well, I'm going to level with you, Eliana. It was uh, the Elon Musk thing and I just did it right oh, there. Oh, whoa. Yeah. All right. Whoa. So, that's a belated that that's a that's a double flashback. You can you play you can play the 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 bumper music now cuz that just happened.
1: Okay. <laughs> Chris, now,
0: what's your you're obsession? You're a mess. I'm a mess. My, what's your obsession? My
1: obsession is the Atlantics. Oh, yes. Conference on disinformation. Oh, yes. Held at the University of Chicago last Thursday, I think it was. I was seeing all of the coverage of this on social media and so amazing. They like all of the big poo of journalism. Ben Smith of Soup or Taxi or whatever his new like, company is going to be called. Oh, yeah. We, was do, there do we still not know and, what it's going to be called. And I think it's called Soup.
0: It's called Soup?
1: I think. And. You, and remember your so, you remember
0: the show, The Soup, with Joel McHale. Yeah, I do. Oh, great! And then show.
1: your colleagues, um, Steve Hayes and Jonah Goldberg, Big Poobahs were there. Jeffrey Goldberg, the editor in chief of The Atlantic, and Brian the, Stelter. And this
0: is The Atlantic is the convening. They are
1: the convening body yeah. with the University of Chicago Institute of Politics. So David Axelrod was there. All these influential people in journalism and Applebaum of The Atlantic to talk about the problem of disinformation in politics. And there were a, a group of students at the University of Chicago's conservative publication who had the temerity to go ask questions of some of these journalists, including Brian Stelter, including Jeffrey Goldberg, including Ann Applebaum, including a couple of your colleagues. And, you know, they're college students. And this is like what college students are supposed to do they're supposed to go here professionals were they respectful Uh, they were totally respectful
0: were they fair
1: i think they were totally fair and i just wanted to play the clip of jeffrey goldberg the editor-in-chief of the atlantic who's had so much professional success he's interviewed presidents barack obama interviewed prime ministers this is his fired kevin williamson my colleague uh, my former colleague from national review hey kevin Hope you listen to this podcast. We and should
0: be so lucky to have Kevin Williamson he, indulge this much time uh, talking totally, about the media.
1: Totally. And here's what Jeffrey Goldberg had to say.
0: I think one darkly humorous but inevitable um, measurement of our success is that um, our disinformation conference has been the subject of disinformation campaigns on social so media. So his response
1: already. was to uh,
0: so, yeah.
1: dismiss the questions Congrats asked by these college students uh, as that, disinformation, uh, we'll, we'll basically to mock them. And make a joke about oh, he was saying uh, they were the uh, disinformation? Yeah, he was saying that their questions and uh, their tweets on social media were disinformation. So classless and absurd. As basically was this entire event. Well, I don't. Know, I
0: don't know what the kids said, so I don't want to. I don't want to say whether they how much respect they deserved, but I will say this:
1: they're kids. Well, you know, whatever.
0: I mean, if they were gross, if they were rude, or they were not. Unpla- that, this is why I'm. I'm not Chris. Going, I I take your word for it. I'm not going to weigh in on what that was, but I will say this about the idea of defeating disinformation: you will hear many times as you go through the world that misinformation and disinformation does not have to be a cost of life in an open society. And I'm here to tell you that it is that it most assuredly, if you have free speech and you have a free open society, misinformation will occur. Do you know why? Because people are terrible because of human nature that people will, if you create a platform, I don't know how long it took for the first picture of genitals to go on social media, (laughs) but I assume it was within minutes of somebody inventing, so somebody was like, oh, this is great. And the guy was like, here's a picture of my junk, ah. And it doesn't, it did not take long for that to happen. And it did not take long for the first person to lie about somebody else on that platform. And it was probably true, like with radio, I assume it was descriptions of genitals, but that it was that from the beginning, Every new medium is going to be abused and misused. And if you tell yourself that there is a way, individual companies should take their own approaches to dealing with this stuff. But I promise you, there is no Catholic, small-c Catholic, comprehensive solution to any of these things. These things have to be done on a case-by-case basis and a a, a platform-by-platform basis. And that's it. This is an inside job. Like everything else, this is an inside job, and nobody is going to come from the outside and fix it for us. Chris. Harumph.
1: I think this is actually my new favorite segment, which is we have such an awesome mailbag this week. Okay. Uh, my favorite. So there are three, three pieces of mail that I want to get through.
0: Well, first tell me how to, can people send us mail.
1: Please send us mail. Wretches. At mm-hmm. nebulousmedia.com, nebulouspodcasts.com. Excuse me. <laughs> Wretches at nebulouspodcasts with an S at the end.com. So we talked last week about this is Chris's informed opinion that if you wear dress sneakers, I
0: said that if a man yes. has what I call dress sneakers, that he is, or if he eats children's breakfast cereal for breakfast, not as a like, you want to have uh, fruity pebbles at night for dessert, or by the way, roll some vanilla ice cream in fruity pebbles. Let uh, me tell you,
1: uh.
0: Uh, you are living the good life. Or I'll take you one further: Haagen Dazs cherry vanilla rolled in oh
1: no, rolled oh, in no, cocoa no, no. pebbles is one of oh, the. Oh hell gr- no! You're wrong. I do not like fruit and chocolate mixed.
0: It's it's. You, I'll make it for you sometime. My sons and I call it Empire Crunch because it looks like the Death Star. It's dark. It looks ominous. But it's very good. Anyway, I said that among among warning signs to young women that a man is not an adult or ready to be an adult, that he is telling you is children's breakfast cereal or uh, that he has dress sneakers. Now, by dress sneakers, I mean... A pair of sneakers that you're like, these are my going out sneakers. These are my fancy sneakers that I save for special sneaker occasions. But we had a reader apparently who had another question. So
1: Kyle writes, I find myself sitting in my cubicle listening to the April 8th episode of Your Fine Show when Chris launched into a brutal and unprovoked attack upon (laughs) dress sneakers. I'm checking with Taylor Lorenz, the expert on such things, but I'm inclined to say that the attack was perhaps even more barbaric than the current Russian assault on Ukraine. <laughs> Kyle emailed us a picture of his Cole Han zero grands, and he wants to know whether they are dress seekers. and, and, and his Chris, na- what is your ruling? Okay,
0: here? let me look here. So, and his name is what? Kyle. Okay, Kyle. So you're coming at the question of dress sneaker from the other side. I was talking about a guy who thought that when he wore nice sneakers that it was dressy. What you have here is, and I assume that Kyle, based on your novelty socks, <laughs> that you are a young man. I, I am also. I have socks with bacon on them. I have a fun socks. The very the fact, though, that I can say the phrase "fun socks" tells you that I am over forty. But I'm just going to guess, based on your attire, that you're a younger man, and you are wearing a pair of dress shoes reimagined as sneakers. So instead of leather, they are like all birds knit wool. And instead of having a leather sole, they have a white, creppy sole. And I will say that that is not what I meant because, and I say this with real love for you, our listener, you are clearly showing that you are not just ready to be an adult, but that you are ready to be 50 that you are already, you are, you are already there, my friend. You are, you are, you have already said, what can I, does, does Florsheim make something that is a little breathe, a little more breathable on my toes? <laughs> so you are definitely marriage material because you are, an, you are, you are old before your time. You are, you are wise beyond your years.
1: Kyle, as a married woman, I am not the sort of woman whose opinion you would care about if you are a single man. But my response was less concerned about the sneakers than the light blue socks with what appear to be doggies on them.
0: I, th- I have light blue socks with doggies on them. So let's just, you know, they're and they're, they're beagles and it, they're great. They're real and they're fabulous.
1: Okay, our next piece of reader mail is from Bob. Hello, Bob. Bob is responding to our discussion of ultimatums because I was talking about my love for this show, this Netflix show, (coughs) The Ultimatum. Yes. And Bob said that the discussion hit home and he agrees. And I love this. Did Bob he said, get married
0: as a result of so what listen, we did? He says, in
1: 1992, I was 24 years old in my second year of law school and had just accepted a federal judicial clerkship in Vermont after gradu- for after graduation. Groovy. Over Thanksgiving break, I took my girlfriend, college sweetheart, who was in grad school in a different city from where I was in law school, to Burlington, Vermont, to show her the town where I'd be living for a year after law school graduation. It was cold and snowy as Burlington is. As we walked down the freezing main street, she, a Miami native, turned to me and sweetly said, "Just so you know, if you think I'm moving to this godforsaken tundra to be with you without a ring on my finger, you are out of your mind."
0: That's perfect. That's not an ultimatum.
1: That's a, that's propose and I ain't move or I ain't moving.
0: An ultimatum is either you propose to me or we're through.
1: Well, that, I think that's, I no. think it was
0: what she said was, nah, Burlington, nah, I'm not, if you, if you, if you're even thinking about this, disabuse yourself of any such notice that you're going to ask me just to come up here and shack up with you. If you <laughs> ah. want me with you, baby, you are going to put a ring on it. And that is great. That is a good, healthy discussion. I'm for them. I'm They're still married. That's awesome.
1: Well, so he says, we got married in Miami during my clerkship a year later, after which she moved to Burlington and in with me, then to Boston for seven years and eventually back to the D.C. area where we met during college, where we remain today. We've been married 28 years as of this past January and have two daughters, 24 and 22, so the ultimatum can apparently work under the appropriate circumstances.
0: He's a lawyer, so I don't want to get trapped into this, Bob. You're I, I, I defer to you on, on legalistic questions, but I don't think that's an ultimatum. I think that is a Come to Jesus conversation that could be you could call it that, or you could call it a disabusion of magical thinking. I think that's good.
1: And finally, yes, we have kudos for Chris from Kimberly, mm-hmm. Chris and Eliana. Not that I expected any less, but I am so grateful that Chris used Myriad correctly on the Two Masters episode. I am shocked, shocked, I say. When journalists I expect to know better say for a completely random example I do not like cinnamon toast crunch for a myriad of reasons woof
0: a, a myriad is not a noun <laughs> myriad is not a noun it is an it 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 is an adjective it or in this case I guess in that case an adjective Part, don't don't blow me up on parts of speech now Miriam but the
1: Kimberly Kimberly, Kimberly. I'm sorry
0: Kimberly don't blow me up on parts of speech but yes thank you thank you for your high praise and I would further like to say that the more than less than there there are so many traps that if I let myself I can hate any broadcast that I'm listening to it's hard for me to get through any of ESPN's offerings because the level of grammar and conversation is so insultingly bad. It's more insulting than Axios telling me to be smart. It's just, it, it, it can be a real uh, impediment to consumption and understanding.
1: Now it is crit time for Chris's favorite time of the week, which is when we say something nice, our favorite items. Chris, hit it. Or I, did you already do it? No, you know.
0: now you know what, now <laughs> yeah. you know what. So I'm going to do, I'll call this an Eliana version, an, an, okay. an Elianified, say something nice.
1: Which is Chris, is, Chris, something you wrote in The Dispatch.
0: No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Zing. No, this is where you, somebody did something rough, and I'm praising oh, them is, for being rough. Is. And it yeah. is a, a praise to the San Francisco Chronicle for the story headline, Colleagues Worry Dianne Feinstein Is Now Mentally Unfit to Serve citing recent interactions. It's reported, and now look, I I have some objections to their use of anonymous, to blind quotes here, anonymous sourcing, but I understand why it would be hard to be the San Francisco Chronicle and to lay, lay one on the deck about Dianne Feinstein, the former mayor of San Francisco, the a a long time a a mover and shaker in the city and and well-esteemed and all of those things so this is a a tough one to do thoroughly they did it correctly and kudos to them for having a little courage to do it and then having the decency well here's what i
1: thought was so funny about this the the piece is awesome. I love the beginning, which is when a California Democrat in Congress recently engaged in an extended conversation with Senator Dianne Feinstein. They prepared for a rigorous policy discussion. Instead, the lawmaker said they had to reintroduce themselves to Feinstein multiple times during an interaction that lasted several hours. It's so funny because, of course, if like Feinstein had two marbles. She would, of course, be able to identify who this anonymous source is, right. but the source is so confident she does not have two marvels that the source is like, ah, you know, I'm going to protect myself from the public, but Feinstein, of course, is not going to have any idea like who this person I th- was. I
0: think I can. I think I can safely tell this now. I'm sorry if I can't, but if, if the person I'm burning, I hope will forgive me. So the West Virginia once upon a time had an exceedingly eld- elderly Senate delegation because it had not just Robert Byrd. But it had Jennings Randolph, who was also an, old, an an old an oldster. In those days, Bird was only as old as the crust of the earth, not not its mantle. And anyway, so Jennings Randolph. So the the people who would go to see Jennings Randolph, <laughs> so you would go into his office. This is what many many told me. You'd go into his office, and he would greet you. And then you would start to explain to him why the Chinchilla Breeders Association needed more chinchilla pellets or whatever thing you were there for. And he would do what, Eliana? No idea. Fall asleep. Please tell me. Fall asleep immediately. Immediately fall asleep and start snoring behind his desk. You know what? I
1: can, I can totally get and, behind and that. And then
0: his chief of staff. That's defensible. Then his chief of staff would look at you and say, go on. I'm here. Like, she had the pad. That's like, awesome. don't worry about that. That's fine. Just keep talking. <laughs> that's uh, awesome. Uh, I, I run that. this office anyway, so you just don't worry about it. And of course, that's what happens. This is why Chuck Grassley. I really think Chuck Grassley's decision to run again is a dubious one. He's a, he. Chuck Grassley was born in the first year of Franklin Roosevelt's term, first term in office this is well, not put it that way yeah this is not fr- this is not fresh spring breezes but we do have the oldest our senate is so the, i forget what the median age is it's like 68 years old in our senate so
1: well you you said that it was a me type favorite item yeah for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah yeah i have an actual me type favorite oh, okay item so we're double where, coupons yeah uh, yeah so i have my favorite item is a beacon item <laughs> uh, but i realized our great oversight last week where we did not talk about the amazing new york uh magazine piece on the black lives matter 6 million dollar mansion right. in in la that was a great piece of reporting and it's just so amazing to me that would have been my last week favorite item right. so amazing to me that these black lives matter leader leaders raised money off of like violence against african-americans yes took these donors to the cleaners and bought the six million dollar mansion but i loved the free beacon story from andrew styles that was 10 decadent details of the black lives matter mansion that will make you want to quit your job and start making tiktoks about white fragility so we're going to link that
0: and i'm going to say make sure you subscribe to the dispatch Make sure you subscribe to The Dispatch. for the
1: Where you will not find such <laughs> you awesome, will, you, fun You
0: list. will definitely not find you will not find that, but you will find many wonderful things, including David French and Jonah Goldberg and the whole Swell gang of guys.
1: That is all the time we have left for the news about the news. If you have a story you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at com. That's wretches at com. This has been ink-stained wretches from Nebulous Media. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us a six-star review.
0: Add a star. Jam it on there.
1: Yep.